Hi and welcome to our home. We're the Freeze and this is the story of our adoption from Columbia. Most of the people listening to this podcast are probably just our friends and family, but if anyone happens to be listening who doesn't know who we are, my name is Misty and my husband is Nate and we are about a year and a half into the process of adopting a child from Columbia. Like a lot of companies, when the pandemic first began, my company wisely decided to send everybody home. So to keep everyone safe, we all got on Slack and Zoom and started doing the work from home thing. And this was going to go on for two weeks, and that became four weeks, and that became till the end of June, and then till the end of the year. And finally, they defined a permanent work from home policy. So that allowed all of us, even if we live a few minutes away from the office, to continue to work from home. So I was talking to a coworker about this and telling her how happy I am that we can do this um, because we are adopting a child from Columbia and the permanent work from home policy is going to give me extra time after my maternity leave ends to bond and to form an attachment with a child coming from trauma. And my coworker's response was OMG, which this is over Slack, so it's appropriate to type OMG into a sentence, and I do it all the time, so I'm not making fun of her. Uh, but OMG, you are adopting a child who is coming from some trauma that is incredible, um, and that's so wonderful of you to get some child from trauma and to show them love, and... Um, We could go into a different conversation about the fact that adoptive parents don't deserve or need praise or compliments for doing what we're doing. Um, Of course, it feels good to be complimented, but we're really not angels or saviors or people who deserve some trophy for rescuing anyone. We're Building our families, just like a lot of people build families every single day, and we are doing it a different way. Um, But anyway, back to the topic of trauma. As we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that it is not obvious to everybody that trauma is inherent in adoption, and it's probably not obvious to everyone in our support network. And the conversations that we have over and over, and not just with this coworker with friends and with family is that this kid is so lucky to be getting us as parents. Um, and that again, it's a nice comment. It's nice to hear. However, our kid is not lucky. Just objectively, they are not lucky. There is a lot of trauma that a kid has gone through in order to reach the point that they are available to be adopted internationally. And it's important to recognize that and to be aware of that. And I'm not saying bring up the traumatic experiences with this kid every time you run into them. You got to talk about it all the time. But I'm saying be aware of it and recognize the fact that there is nothing lucky about a kid who could not be cared for by their birth parents, who could not be cared for by extended family, aunts, uncles, grandmas, and who could not even be cared for by anyone in their local community to stay in their birth culture. 
So by the time it gets to us, this is really one of the unluckiest kids on the planet. And we really, truly, and I'm not just saying this because it sounds nice, we are the lucky ones to have the trust from the authorities in Colombia and from our agency and from our local social worker and from the U.S. government to have the chance to parent this child from everything that the child has come from. Just going through a generic list of the kinds of trauma that a child can go through. Poverty, violence at home, natural disasters, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, a dysfunctional home, emotional abuse, separation from parents, death of a loved one, serious medical conditions, war and community violence, parents with mental illness, drug abuse in the home, prenatal drug exposure, prenatal alcohol exposure, bullying, car accidents, incarcerated parents. And think about each of those things, not as just a box that you would check on a list, but each of those things overlaps and influences and exacerbates the other thing. For example, having a serious medical condition is a trauma in itself. However, when that is combined with living in poverty and you have parents or a parent who loves you but who is unable to care for you because that condition requires money and resources and access to care that an impoverished family can't get, that can lead to that separation from parents, that can lead to a more dysfunctional home, that can lead to more contention at home, that can lead to the kinds of things that create an even more difficult environment for a child who is already having a hard time and ultimately can lead to a child going into state care and later on maybe becoming available for international adoption. To help you understand more about the relationship between trauma and international adoption, we have to talk about the Hague Convention. So the Hague Convention on the Protection of Children and Cooperation in Respect of Intercountry Adoption, or just called the Convention for short. It's an international treaty that dictates certain standards about the way that adoptions are conducted. So the Hague Convention was established in 1993. The United States signed it in 1994. Now there are 98 countries who have signed the convention and the rules went into force in the United States in 2008. So other countries have implemented Hague rules or rules inspired by the Hague over time. Um, a lot of that went into effect in China around the year 2000 and in Colombia around the year 2013. Um, and as the Hague goes into effect, um, we see numbers of international adoptions go down and we see the types of children change. So we see ages of children or special needs going up. So the entire purpose of the Hague Convention is to prevent the abduction, sale, or trafficking of children and to ensure that by the time a child is being adopted internationally, that it has been certified that it is in the best interest of that child to be adopted internationally. So 
the child must have been deemed eligible for adoption within their own country of origin and due consideration. So every effort must have been made to find a placement in the country of origin. So these 98 countries that have become a part of the Hague Convention are in agreement that it is usually in the best interest for a child to stay in their country of origin, to stay connected to their birth culture and their home, um, and to maintain some kind of connection with their birth family um, or extended family who are in the area, that when that is not possible, then children come to the international adoption list. And we see the impact of the Hague on the numbers of adoptions that the U.S. State Department posts on travel.state.gov, um, where... So in 2004, we've got kind of the peak of international adoption in the U.S. In 2004, the number of children adopted internationally was 22,986. And then talking about the profiles of children getting adopted again, um, 25% of those kids were babies under the age of one. So that image that a lot of people have of flying home with a baby in your arms, that's reasonable because that was a quarter of all the adoptions happening in 2004. Um, that came to 5,715 kids in 2004 that were babies being adopted internationally. In 2019, the total number of kids adopted internationally was only 2,971. So a small, small fraction of the numbers that we saw in 2004. Um, and the number of kids under the age of one adopted in 2019 was six. So 0.2% of the kids adopted in 2019 were babies under the age of one. Um, so pretty easy to see that shift in the number of adoptions and in the shift to older child adoption um, and special needs adoption. So a great part of the news with the Hague Convention is the fact that these countries that have become parties of the Hague Convention are doing a lot more work to advocate for domestic adoption. And so since China has joined the convention, they're seeing about 25 to 30,000 kids get adopted domestically every year. There's also a big impact from the economy getting better in China at the same time, where there's less kids who become orphans when the economy is doing better, and there are more families who are able to adopt when the economy is doing better. So that's a wonderful thing, to see more kids staying in their country of origin, even if it might uh, make some U.S. families sad that it's now going to be harder and longer, and there's less kids that we can adopt. But that's okay. And... We're also seeing a shift, not just to older kids, but to kids with special needs and kids who are part of sibling groups. So Colombia is a country that has said for children to be adopted internationally, they have to be at least six years and 11 months old, essentially seven, or um, they need to have some special needs or special characteristics uh, that Colombia then uses to deem that child fit for international adoption where they are certifying that international adoption is in the best interest of the child. So that's a rundown on the Hague. It's a really long treaty, 
but it's important for understanding the landscape that we're in and it's important for understanding some of that background when people ask why is it taking so long and why are you getting an older kid and when people say privately I've been told this don't get a kid that has some kind of medical problem uh, this is the landscape that we're in. So families adopting internationally, they're going to be adopting an older kid, a kid with special needs, or siblings. That's it. I see this question a lot in adoption forms where people are wondering where they can adopt a healthy baby. And the answer for people talking about international adoption is really from no place that's a part of the Hague Convention or even countries like South Korea that are not formally a part of the Hague Convention, but that are working really hard to make strides toward boosting domestic adoption and decreasing international adoption and making sure that efforts are made to make adoption more socially acceptable within those countries and to advocate for kids to be adopted domestically. So there are inherent pieces of trauma in an international adoption, including the removal from parents, the removal from country, the removal from culture, um, and the language barrier that could be there for several months between parents who may not speak the language of the child that they're adopting. And we are really grateful to be eligible for this program where we will be able to adopt a child who speaks a language that Nate is fluent in. I took Spanish for five years and I've been practicing every day, so certainly not fluent, but doing my best um, to try to make that one less factor as much as possible that contributes to the trauma that this child is going through as they make a really hard transition. Um, and I think it's also important to acknowledge the fact that even when a baby is adopted as a newborn and goes straight from the hospital into the loving arms of parents who will adopt that child and raise that child from basically birth and onward, there is still that trauma of the separation from parents and that sense of abandonment and grief and loss that comes with that. Um, so to say that adoption is trauma is true, not just in international adoption, not just in foster adoption, but even in private infant adoption or domestic infant adoption. Um, so the more that we are aware of this and educated about it, the better off our kids are going to be. Um, the unfortunate thing that happens with a lot of adopted kids is that that narrative that we hear that this kid is so lucky to get you guys as parents. The kid hears that and the kid internalizes that. And as the kid has these thoughts of, I wonder what my birth mom is like. And I wonder what it would be like if I had stayed in my home country. And I wonder what it would be like if I could have stayed with my mom. Like, what could I have done? What could she have done? How close was I to staying with my birth mom? A kid can easily feel guilty about those thoughts and hide those thoughts and stress out about having those thoughts and feel 
like something is wrong with them for having those thoughts because everyone in their life has told them you're so lucky and we're so glad that you're a part of the family and to have thoughts about the first family or first country can feel like a betrayal of that gratitude and that love and that affection that we have for the kids so don't contribute to that as much as you can let kids feel and think what they want to feel and think and um, be willing to keep that dialogue open and don't constantly push on a kid this message that you are so lucky you should be so grateful Um, because yeah that's easy for us to see from the adoptive parent perspective and support network of the adoptive parent perspective but remember everything that the kid has gone through to get to this point and leave space for the kid to feel those feelings. If you want to follow along with our story on Instagram or see what we're learning about trauma-informed parenting, then you can follow us at freezeadopt, that's F-R-E-E-S-A-D-O-P-T. Thanks for listening.